Welcome, and thank you for tuning in to the Graceland Church Podcast. Our mission is to follow Jesus and love our neighbor for the good of the city. Thank you, worship team. It's good to have Andy Levine in the house leading for us today. Let's say thanks to Andy, guys. We appreciate you. Thank you, worship team. Thank you, those in the audiovisual booth who get here early. Uh, some of them right around 7 a.m. to get set up for our first service. Thank you guys for serving the church family well. Uh, there's a movie that came out in 1981, the year before I was born, and it was called Chariots of Fire, one of the best soundtracks of all time. Who's with me on that? Fantastic. It was a British historical film based on the true story of an athlete in 1924 in the Olympics named Eric Little. He was a devout Scottish Christian who ran for the glory of God. And he has one of the greatest quotes of all time outside of scripture, in my opinion. God made me fast, and when I run, I feel God's pleasure. It's a beautiful picture of doing all things unto the glory of God, whatever we do. If you have not seen Chariots of Fire, you now have an assignment from your pastor. Take it as from the Lord to go watch Chariots of Fire. It's phenomenal, and it's a wonderful soundtrack. If you didn't like it, don't tell me, because it'll affect our relationship. I'm just kidding. When I was a kid, I used to love running. You know, it's kind of like the older I get, the more I look back on that childhood and think I was like this amazing athlete. You know, I don't know how true it was, but I was like, I could just run endlessly. I was like a tiny little skinny boy, and I loved it. And I could say when I run, I felt God's pleasure. But then as I started getting older into middle and high school, uh, most of the other guys and some of the girls got bigger and stronger than me, (laughs) and they could run faster. And I didn't like running quite as much because I didn't feel like I was that great at it anymore. Can anybody relate? So running took a little bit of a backseat. You want to do things that you're good at. And then in my young adult years, young 20s, I decided to try to run a little bit long distance again. And one day I pushed it a little too hard, and I hurt my left knee. And then I really kind of stopped running because now I was injured. And at this point in my life, um, I really don't feel God's pleasure when I run. Can anybody relate to that? (laughs) I feel a lot of other things, not really the pleasure of God. And I wish I did feel the pleasure of God when I ran, but life's a little different. And that's funny when it comes to when we think of physical running, but it's really tragic sometimes because that can be metaphorical for running the race of life because I believe that God has given every single one of us a race to run. And some of us, when we were younger, or maybe when we first started serving Jesus, or maybe when we were just wide-eyed and filled with wonder still, we felt God's pleasure in the race of life. Like we were passionate, we had vision, we had faith. But then as years went on, we did kind of what happened to me as a runner. We started thinking a little bit more too much about everybody else's life. It's called the comparison trap. And you don't find quite as much pleasure in your own race anymore. And so you're, you, know, you don't feel God's pleasure quite as much, and that's really sad. And then things like injuries happened, kind of like what happened to my knee. We start to get hurt in life. People let us down. People betray us. Some of us have been really hurt by fathers. And then maybe we have more pain than anything in running the race of life. And I want to share a short message with you this morning, and it's a version of a message that I share at least once every year, because I think it's that important, called Running Your Race, out of Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Here's what it says. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders 
and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. Your four fill-ins today are really lifted right out of the scripture. Number one is remember the cloud of witnesses. Now, that's not a phrase we really use in our culture much, so I wanna take a minute to explain what that means. If you look at the beginning of verse one, it starts with the word therefore. And anytime you're reading scripture, you always have to ask yourself, what a therefore is therefore? And it is pointing to whatever was spoken about before it. So we have to look at chapter 11 before we understand what this cloud of witnesses is. And the reality is that Hebrews 11 is called the hall of faith. And it just describes these stories of men with, and women with great faith and hearts after God. Let me read you a few stories from Hebrews 11. Verse four, by faith, Abel, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks, even though he is dead. So Abel lived a life of such faith that we're still talking about it today. It still speaks. Verse eight, by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder was God. He was dreaming of a future reality that he did not see yet where every promise of God would be fulfilled. I feel like that right now. Who's with me? This world, this culture is not the solution. It's not the answer. We, 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 are, we forge a new path in the kingdom of God and we dream of the full realization of that kingdom by faith. Verse 11, and by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, how would you like the Bible to re record that about you? He was as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. If you feel as good as dead today, God might not want you to have a bunch of actual babies and descendants, but he still wants you to be fruitful. He's still, if you're still breathing, God's not done with you. That's the promise of God's word. So these are some of the witnesses that make up that cloud of witnesses. So what the text is saying is, therefore, since you are surrounded by this cloud of witnesses, like the song said, oftentimes we feel surrounded by problems. Oftentimes we feel surrounded by enemies or challenges. What this is saying is you must remember that you're actually surrounded by the great cloud of witnesses who are quite literally, based on scripture, cheering you on by name to run your race. That's a beautiful thing. When you're all isolated and feel by yourself, you're much more likely to feel defeated and struggle running your race. But when there's a bunch of people cheering you on, you're much more likely to rise up to the challenge of what they're cheering you on for. You are surrounded by a cloud of witnesses and not just the dead ones. <laughs> I believe we're also surrounded by a living cloud of witnesses. Look around at the room you're in. You're in a room full of people that is very unique in the world right now. People from all different kinds of backgrounds, socioeconomic classes, areas of the country or world, ages, 
cultures, races that have one thing in mind that unites us, and that is looking to the person of Jesus, to this new kingdom, and one goal towards each other, loving and spurring them on towards faith and good deeds. That's the whole goal here. Where else do rooms like this exist out of the church of Jesus Christ? This is a beautiful cross point of all culture, and we are part of your cloud of witnesses. We are cheering you on. Hopefully your loved ones are cheering you on. I know my wife, my kids now, cheer me on. I read that note earlier. This is the cloud of witnesses. There is a direct correlation between running your race and remembering the cloud of witnesses. So I wanna encourage you, remember the cloud of witnesses today. The text, oh, and I wanna show this picture before I get into the next. This is just one of my favorite pictures that helps illustrate the cloud of witnesses. I share it every year. This is the Cubs, just ignore that fact. Don't, don't, any Cubs fans in the house? Good, we can keep you in the church. Are you guys with me? This is someone who hit a home run, rounding third, pretending like he's flying. Don't you love to run like that? That reminds you of being a little kid after a huge victory coming into home where his entire team is throwing him a party for what he just did and cheering him on. They are his cloud of witnesses. And then look at the stands. Look at everybody high-fiving and cheering. I just really believe this is the picture of us when we enter over into eternity and the church of old cheers us on and welcomes us in. Also the angelic hosts, also God, our Father, Jesus, our big brother, the, the Spirit of God. We are welcomed like this, but I also believe this is true of us now. So right in the middle of your race, not only are you not alone, but you have a cloud of witnesses that looks like that. How amazing. You are being cheered on. Text goes on to say, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Number two, throw off everything that hinders. As followers of Jesus, the only things that can hinder us are things that we allow to hinder us. The gospel of Jesus has made us new, clothed us in the righteousness of God. And we are called to walk in and believe the promises of God. But all of us, like the sheep we've been studying as we looked at Psalm 23 the last few weeks, we tend to run back towards our own sin and the things that will kill us. We tend to be drawn towards the things that we know are not gonna actually help us run the race, but do the opposite and hinder us. And look at what it says, the sin that so easily entangles. We all know what that's like because we've all sinned. It's when you start to compromise a little bit with something. Maybe you then want to hide it. You feel ashamed or you feel a little secretive about it. But then it starts to weigh you down. Have you ever been like me and had a whole season of life where you were wondering, what's wrong right now? What's troubling me? Why does life feel so hard? And then eventually God kind of shows you in one way or another, you've been running back towards sin. You've maybe had this thought that isn't true that's now dominating your mind and it's hindering your race. So what we need to do is every day remind ourselves, throw off that which hinders. Sin is stupid. It's one of the only things you're allowed to say stupid about, kids. I'll tell my kids that. Sin is so stupid. It hurts you. The results and consequences of sin are less punishment and more just logical consequence of what happens when you do that. Throw off that which hinders. And then it says, 
Let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. Number three, run the race marked out for you. And I want to emphasize the word you. You got to stay focused on your race and not get overly concerned with everyone else's race. That again is the trap of comparison. This starts really young. We start to measure ourselves by ourselves. You know, whatever this person is doing right here, whatever's going on with them, if I begin to measure myself based on them, I am walking into the comparison trap and I am no longer focused on running my race. I'm actually sinning by being overly concerned with the race of someone else. And you have a race that is just for you to run. You're the only one who can run your race faithfully. So to some degree, you gotta stop worrying about what other people that are running this race even think about your race and just run yours. I remember about a decade ago, I was a newish senior pastor at the time, pastoring in California, and God gave me this wonderful mentor and kind of big brother friend in this pastor from New York City. I just learned so much from this guy, and he's still a good friend to this day. I didn't realize that internally, I was also starting to compare myself to him. And the trap of comparison is most insidious with those who do what you do. Those who are in similar industry or career path for dads, maybe other dads, and how it's going for them. How much money are they making? What kind of vehicles are they driving? How are they doing with their family? Whatever it may be. And we all do this because it's part of our human and sinful nature. And I started just getting really discouraged about everything in my own race, right? That's what happens when you start comparing. You're bummed out about your race. And I was almost subconsciously doing this with this good friend of mine who was actually a gift in my life. And God one day just basically confronted me and was like, Nathan, And this is just in prayer. I didn't hear an audible voice, but this is just really what I sensed from God's heart for me. It's like, Nathan, you can either try to run someone else's race at someone else's pace and destroy yourself and hurt everyone you love. That will be the result. Or you can run your race at your own pace and live a flourishing life and bless everyone you love seems like a really easy decision when it gets proposed to you like that. Am I right? It's a lot harder to actually daily make that choice to focus on running your race. And I have a new friend named Jeremy Godwin. This is him right here. He's here with most of his family, his wife, Faith, his two 14-year-old sons, Micah and Brennan. See, I'm getting it. And then they have an older son who just graduated high school named Elliot, Um, He is someone that I really believe is running his race well. Why don't you come on up? Let's give Jeremy a hand as he comes, guys. Grab that same one again. As you know, we're very thankful to be connected to a tribe of ministers uh, called the Assemblies of God. And one of the greatest things about the Assemblies of God is it's a, a deep well of people like Jeremy and his awesome family who live by faith. And Jeremy's made some unique pivots in his life and has taken some, some bold steps. And will you just tell us a little bit about that, your story, what you're doing now, and what's on your heart? Awesome. Thanks, Pastor. Such a pleasure to be with you guys this morning. Um, my wife and our, our family, we have taken an interesting journey. See, 15 years ago, we started into ministry. We come from Families that are very broken, very uh, destructive in some ways, and a lot of crazy things happen, and then God saved us and put us on a path. 
uh, that we had no idea exactly how we were going to get to where God wanted us to go or what that actually looked like. But we did know this, to be faithful in the moment. So we started out uh, many, many years ago as youth ministers in a rural town after pastoring in a big city. We moved out into the country where everybody wore camouflage and had big jacked up trucks. And that was a different world for us. And But God flourished there. Amazing things happened. And then we went up to Michigan and we were uh, executive pastors at a really large church up there and totally different culture. If you've ever crossed the Mason-Dixon line, it's almost as weird as going out west. I mean, it's just totally different country up there. And then God brought us down here to Tennessee and it was the most unlikely place. He spoke to our hearts and said, this is your next step. We always thought it would be missions, but he said, this is your next step. I'm calling you to the mission field of Tennessee. And we came to Tennessee um, a number of years ago um, at this point, and it was an incredible season. We came into a very hard situation, a church with lots of debt and very few people. Um, but God said, I have, a, I have a plan for them. It was a turnaround church, and it did turn around. God flourished there, and miracles started happening. The church exploded in growth and started giving to missions in incredible ways. And it was after five years of just having a blast. Every season was just so much fun, and God... God had so much there that we didn't want to leave. But let me just say this. Every season is nothing more than preparation for your next season. And we had no idea what God was about to do, but what he did was nothing short of a miracle. He led us into a place where we're at now, where we're building churches and schools literally all around the world. We're with missionaries with Builders International. And what that basically means is we get to be a part of building the church around the world, places where people find hope. How many of you know the church is the best place you can be, right? I mean, this is the best place that you can find community, that you can find life, that you can find freedom, and most importantly, you can find places to find hope. And see, that means chains come off. That means people get saved. That means addictions fall away. That means healing happens in marriage and family, and life and community is established. And we're a part of building that around the world. In fact, uh, our first term, these past three and a half, almost four years, we were a part of building 106 churches. Now, when you build a church within the first six months, it quadruples in size of new believers. So 106 churches around the country, around the world. We built 52 schools. That's, uh, that's schools for children as well as Bible schools that are planting churches. And that all happened in 53 different countries all around the world. People are finding hope through the body of Christ. Never imagined we'd be doing this. Yeah, that's kind of a crazy shift. And, yeah. you know, in a short period of time and without understanding moments like that, they went from the very secure, steady thing in a new assignment that was going really well while they had three kids in school to leaving that all to go into zero income to try to raise funding, not only as missionaries, but raise many millions of dollars for all of these facilities they're building in all of these missions contexts and all over the world. How have you done that and stay enc stayed encouraged to keep running your race? The community. Having people around is such a key. Um, we need relationships. We need people that will champion us and lift our arms up. But it's also having that confidence in that you're doing what you're supposed to do. You know, every day, I, I'm just going to be honest, I'm a man. I like manly things. I'm a, huh, I'm a man. I like meat and guns and things that go boom and fast. Come on, men. I mean, you have those in your church, don't you? So, yeah. Okay, I'm just making sure. <laughs> and most of us as men, and ladies, hear me out. If you don't understand men, here's a little key. We are driven to accomplish things. 
We want to accomplish something. We want to build on that which we have accomplished and accomplish more. There's ladders that we see in front of us that we want to grow, and we want to climb those ladders. But friends, God did not call us to accomplish anything. He called us to fulfill things. And so for us, it was recognizing that the fulfillment is build the local church in whatever context that is. If that's as a youth pastor, if that's as a senior pastor, if that's in Tennessee or Michigan, or if it's around the world, build the church. And so for us, it's keeping our eyes on the prize, what we're running towards, not what we're accomplishing now. God will do the accomplishments if we can stay focused on what's ahead. So surrounding yourself with people that are championing that, encouraging that, to keep pressing forward, to keep pushing on, it's the key. Awesome. You know, um, my grandfather on my mom's side uh, was a pastor and planted a few churches, pastored a bunch of churches, and then served in something called the Pennsylvania Delaware District of the Assemblies of God in leadership for that district for like 25 years. And a number of years ago, we were all visiting my grandfather, and a lot of me and my cousins were there, and all of our kids, so a ton of his grandkids were there, more than had ever been gathered, I think almost all of them. He might have like 35 great-grandkids or something like that. And so it was a big, big full house of people, and he kind of had that glow and peace about him that made it feel like he was ready to like be done on the earth, right? Sometimes you can almost see that in someone. I didn't think that then, but looking back, I thought that. And we were leaving and got the kids packed up to go. And my wife said to me, kind of out of nowhere, why don't you go back inside and film your grandfather and ask him some questions and get it on film? And I was like, I don't wanna do that, we're already, you know how it is once you have the car loaded, there's no turning back. So, but I listened to her and I went back in and I went up to my pop-up and I said, pop-up, put the camera on. I said, give us your greatest words of wisdom. And he lit up with a huge smile and really tears in his eyes and just said, stay in love with Jesus was his response. And he had done all kinds of things. He had had, you know, a wonderful, for lack of a better word, career in ministry, right? Had got to travel all over the place, have accomplishments, right? None of that is what he even thought about or cared about. He just said, stay in love with Jesus. And I forgot to say this in first service, but the next morning, he collapsed dead. Yeah, literally the next morning. So like 12 hours after that little video. So we ended up with that video of my pop-up to the whole family as his final, because I listened to my wife, by the way, so fathers. Major points. That one little listen to my wife made me like a hero in my family because I, I captured this video, right? So, hey, she is the secret weapon of everything in our, in our lives. But uh, what I love about it, and we talk about it here, and I'd love you to speak to this. I think part of running our race and not getting overly focused on the accomplishments is remembering that our highest calling is just knowing and loving Jesus. It just orients us around what our race actually is. Uh, Paul talked about it. I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. So all the other stuff, at the end of the day, it's just about knowing him. How do you, as someone who's busy, and and you can speak for your family to some degree, how do you stay focused on just the simple, beautiful walk with the Lord and the high calling of knowing him? That's a great question. I will say props to my wife who keeps me a little bit more grounded. Uh, It's good to have a good wife. Behind every every, uh, successful man is a very very anointed woman of God who keeps me grounded and, and keeps me, you know, on target. You know, it's a great question, Pastor. Um, 
you know, so oftentimes I, like so many other, especially men, I, I grade myself and judge myself based off the finish line. But we're not called to win the race. We're not even called to complete the race. We're called to run the race. And so oftentimes we put so much emphasis on the end point that we lose sight on the moment. And so for me, staying focused on, on Jesus first is being completely engulfed in the moment. I wasn't sure about that story I told last time, but I, I'm, I'm going to share a, a neat story. It's a mission story of this missionary lady that went out into the um, Pacific Island. She was a teacher, and uh, it's an incredible story of this woman who just gave her life, and she's loving on these kids. And, you know, it came to the end of the year, and they all bring the teacher the school gifts, you know, the obligatory present at the end of the year, except there was one that stood out as kind of strange. It was just a shell. looked like it had come from the beach. Nothing big. The teacher just kind of, oh, okay, thank you, sweetheart, and put it to the side. And another teacher came by later and goes, do you realize what this is? This isn't just a shell. This is a shell that's from the other end of the island on a very remote beach. That child had to cross the island, climb over a volcano, go through this treacherous area in order to get that shell. Well, she brings a little boy up and goes through the translation process and is I didn't realize how special this was, and I just want to say thank you. And the, the student looked at the teacher and said, the gift wasn't the shell. The gift was the long walk. It was the journey to give you something of meaning. And friends, can I just say that our lives, no matter what it looks like, it may be you're the teacher. It may be you're the missionary traveling the world. It, it could be anything. But when it's all said and done, the gift we give Jesus is our relationship with him through the journey. It's the moment. It's the, it's the moment of chaos and how we respond. It's the moment of not knowing what the next step is. And that's okay. So I'm going to spend time in his presence. And that's the gift I'm going to give him. It's not what we accomplish. It's the gift of the journey. And staying in love with Jesus in each and every season of that journey. That's a beautiful story. I'm glad you shared it again. Because it does remind us that this highest calling of loving Jesus, we're in it now. How restful is that? Like there's nowhere you're trying to get to that's like a higher calling on your life. You're already in it. And I love this quote from Phil Vischer, who's the creator of VeggieTales. Anybody remember VeggieTales? This is the guy who created VeggieTales, and he said this, and it articulates this idea. The impact God has for us doesn't come from pursuing the impact God had for, has for us, but from pursuing God. So we can get caught up through the comparison trap, through our own selfish ambition, really, on all the other things, when he's just saying, let's rest and run our race by staying focused on him. And that's how the text ends, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. That's the last point, fix your eyes on Jesus. And this, I've said this before, but I'm gonna keep saying it every year, this notebook that I preach from every Sunday that I do preach, uh, one of the main reasons I haven't switched to an iPad like all the cool pastors is because my grandfather, my pop-up, the one who I took that video of, video of uh, without me knowing it, left this to me after he died, which is what he used to preach from. So this little leather notebook reminds me all the time that what I'm actually doing is what that little boy with the shell did. I'm staying in love with Jesus. And we, you might be in different contexts, you might be in different seasons of life, have different assignments, but what we're actually doing is just loving the Lord. And that is how we run our race and throw off everything that hinders. 
the Godwin family we're picking up as new missionaries from our church. We're just going to keep going. So we're going we're gonna to support them monthly, and we're going to give them an honorarium from, from today. We're not doing like an official offering because we just did one like two weeks ago. But if you're really inclined, you can always give towards any of our missionaries and just put their specific name. So just if you want to give anything towards them, you can just put Jeremy in the note on any of your giving for the next week, and it'll go 100% towards them. But I want you to know as a church family that we're picking them up monthly. Let's pray uh, for this awesome family. Lord, we thank you uh, for Jeremy and Faith and their kids, uh, this incredible family that's willing to run their race. And we only heard from Jeremy today, but we know it is a family endeavor. This is an entire family saying yes to the call of God on them as a family. And so I pray you'll encourage them, strengthen them for the task at hand. And I pray what we preach today Uh, that they would remember the great cloud of witnesses around them, cheering them on. And I pray that we will now be a part of that cloud, that we are cheering on the Godwin family in their call and in their assignment, and that they would throw off everything that hinders, God, that they would keep their eyes completely fixed on you, and they would keep just simply running their race, and they would stay in love with you, Jesus. At the end of the day, we're thankful for all the churches that are gonna be built, the schools that are gonna be built, the way it's gonna bless all these communities. We're so grateful for their obedience and the fruit that will come from that. But actually our greater prayer is that they would just stay in love with you and walk with you and flourish in their marriage and with their kids because out of that will continue to flow that beautiful and healthy ministry. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's thank Jeremy for being here, guys. That was awesome, man. Can I have the worship team come on up? We're going to close uh, with just some prayer and response time together. And there's one last illustration I wanted to share that I have shared before, but again, it bears repeating every year. It's called the 85-10-5 principle. And this especially can hopefully encourage some of you dads out there today, but it applies to everyone. It was popularized by Wayne Cordero, who's a, an author who wrote a book called Leading on Empty. He said 85% of everything you do, someone else could do, which right off the bat is a humbling thought, isn't it? We're not so self-important. Then he said 10% of everything you do, someone else with training could do. So that's 95% of your whole life, Ah, replaceable. It's kind of like one of my favorite quotes that I've read recently, I can't remember who said it, but they said, 100 years, all new people. Think about that. 100 years, all new people on the earth. All new people at Graceland Church. It's a humbling and beautifully sobering reality, isn't it? Because you realize, wow, things just go on. 95% of everything we do, someone else could do. But then here's the key. 5% of what we do, we are the only ones on the planet and in all time and space who will ever be able to do that, period. And the first thing within that 5% is your relationship with God. That is undelegatable. That cannot be passed on to anyone else. Doesn't matter whatever they're doing on the left of you, whatever they're doing on the right of you, you alone are the one who builds your relationship and your love for Jesus Christ. So I wanna encourage you, when we think about running our race, lean into that part of the 5%. Also in that 5% is those of you that are fathers, you are the only father that your kids will ever have. Unreplaceable, undelegatable. And how sad that sometimes the best of us goes to the 95% that a lot of other people could do with training. And we get so caught up in it, right? 
We, we get caught up in it. And I, I'm not, we have to do our jobs and all that. So this is not a guilt trip. But let's do everything we can to run our race well by leaning into the 5% of, of being who we need to be for our loved ones. It's not just fathers. It's mothers. It's siblings. It's cousins. It's parents. It's grandparents. It's kids. You're the only daughter or son to your parents, or you're one of the only ones. You're the only one with your name. And so there's just such beautiful, unique ministry in the 5%. Let's respond together with this simple song and raise a hallelujah. Lord, we thank you uh, that we have the invitation to know you. We thank you that we are surrounded right now by a great cloud of witnesses. Help us to hear the cheers. Help us to hear those that are literally chanting our name to keep running the race. I mean, like in some very real sense, there are angelic hosts cheering on Rob Rates, <laughs> our pastoral care team leader. Like by name, go Rob, go Rob. You are running your race. In a very real sense, Abraham right now <laughs> could be like, go Rob Rates, go Rob Rates. God, help us to remember that for each one of us individually. That we're not, not, not only are we not isolated, but we have such a great cloud of witnesses. As we round third base and run towards home, we want to get back to that quote from Eric Little. When we run the race of life, we feel God's pleasure. Help us to feel your pleasure as we run this race. In Jesus' name. Let's sing together, church. Let's just give thanks to God, church. We thank you that you are the living king. Yes. We thank you that you are our heavenly father who is the lifter of our heads, the healer of our wounds, the restorer of our brokenness. Quite literally, as scripture says, the author and perfecter of our faith. So for each person here, I just pray your blessing as we go. I pray they'll remember that people are cheering their name. I'm cheering their name as their pastor. Heavenly hosts are cheering their name. Saints of old are cheering their name. I pray they'll run away from sin, throw off that which hinders. Just again, church, whatever that is now, just imagine yourself throwing it off. Enough of that, enough of that. We wanna walk in the way that leads to life. God, I pray that each person here would focus on their own race, forget about everybody else's race. And God, I pray that they will fix their eyes on you, Jesus. I'm gonna pray this benediction out of Ephesians. Before I do, let me remind you, we have missions prayer cards from the Godwin family right at the welcome table. Grab one so you can pray for them. You can say hi to them out in the foyer. We also, for those who have parents in elementary or younger, we have stuffed animals in the foyer. It's a summer fun thing that we're doing where kids adopt an animal and it has to do with scripture memory. It's really fun. My wife, Jessica, will tell you all about it, but it's right there in the foyer. And don't forget the great prize today, beef jerky on your way out. And, and, and if all the dads have already grabbed it, everyone else, you can just help yourself. It'll be like vultures to the meat, you know, so there we go. Let me pray this benediction out of Ephesians. I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God in Jesus' name, amen.
Love you guys. Happy Father's Day. Have a wonderful afternoon.